we have discussed last week already that children obey their parents not because the parents earn the child's respect, nor because the parents are highly skilled at counter-arguing or debating the issue on the table or that's at hand. If mama says no, then the answer is no. no. Mama doesn't need to sit there for a long back and forth striving to argue or out-argue their little four-year-old or why they need to pick up their room. I have to admit, I often see this with younger parents, especially where mom or dad tries to explain their point of view to their child to ad nauseum. For example, mom and little Brian go to the store. And they go to the store and Brian sees a toy that he wants. Maybe a Thomas the Train toy. I know they'll get my kids' interest. Maybe they'll start paying attention. Thomas the Train, right? And, and the child says, I want that. And mommy says, well, we're here to get groceries. We're not here to, to get you a toy, son. And, and little Brian says, but I really want the toy, mommy, right? And, and the mother says, well, you already have a lot of toys at home. And the son says, well, I really want the toy, and I need it, mommy, please. And mom says, well, Brian, you have so many toys already, and your toy box lid is almost filled up. If we get you another toy, we won't be able to shut it at all. And the dance continues as mom explains, explains, and explains herself to her little four-year-old. Brian does not need to have an explanation, a clear explanation of why. And quite frankly, Brian, like most little children, don't care why. Guess what they want? They want what they want, and that's it. They want that toy at that moment. They're not really worried or care at all about mom's good reasoning why they shouldn't have the toy. But not only that, it gets much worse. But the more mom tries to make her good explanations be the reason why little Brian should, should not have that toy, the more she undermines her own authority as the parent that God has entrusted her with. And this morning we're in Ephesians 6, where the last week and then this week and the following week we're talking about parenting, where Paul stops with the family and gives them counsel on training their children. And he shows us as parents that we have authority, that God has given us as parents to oversee our little ones. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians 6, verse 1. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Ephesians 6, 1, God's word says this, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. So scripture says that when a child obeys their parent, they are really obeying Christ, which we discussed last week. But that means we as parents are disobeying God when we undermine the very authority God gave us when we argue and debate with our little children. We end up training our children to be disobedient and ignore the very authority that God has entrusted to us. So the question is, when 
Is a child really being disobedient? Where they cross that line from being obedient to disobedient. And we obviously know that direct disobedience is obviously wrong. For example, if I tell Silas to pick up his toys because it's time to go to bed, and he looks at me and dumps them all out and smiles, well, obviously that's direct disobedience. That's easy to spot and to discipline for. But what about other times when a child listens, but it is after you have told them three times. Is that wrong? We have to remember that our children are often conditioned by the rules we have in the house or the lack of rules that we have in our homes. If the rule is a child better listen by the time we count to three, then we have trained the child that mom or dad is not serious until Mom is at two and a half, two and three quarters. Oh, 2.99, I better get there, right? Or if we condition the child to listen when we yell, then the child won't come until he or she knows mom or dad is serious. And, and that happens when mom or dad begins to scream, Luke, pick up your room. Luke, pick up your room. Luke, pick up your room, right? We have then trained our child to, when we get to certain decimal points in our voice, they finally come running, right? We set the tone in our home as parents how the child is supposed to obey and listen to us what it, what, on what it means to be obedient. But where is that line where the child goes again from obedience to disobedience. If we could just draw a line in the sand, where would that place be? Well, Ted Tripp, I mentioned this book last week, Shepherding a Child's Heart, which is just a phenomenal book for parenting, gives us clarity on where the obedience and disobedience line is. Listen to what he says here in his book. Obedience is the willing submission of one person to the authority of another. It means more than a child doing what he is told. It means doing what he is told without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. So I'm going to just sort of rip Ted Tripp's point into my point and say point number one, obedience occurs when the child obeys without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. Let me say that again. Obedience occurs when the child obeys without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. And I have a few scenarios that I want to look at to show the disobedience that each child is making. The first scenario, mom tells little Steve, her son, who is about eight, to pick up his room. She tells him once, but she often has to continue to tell him and ride him until it's done. How is little Steve being disobedient? Well, he's practicing delayed obedience, which is really disobedience, right? That's not obedience. Second scenario, little Jalen is told to go to bed. She says she's not tired yet, of course, right? And mom tells her, we'll go to bed anyway. Jalen says, I'm still playing with my Legos, mommy. Not only that, but I have a few books I have to read after that as well. Well, how is little Jalen being disobedient? Well, she's making excuses, right? For why she's not being obedient. Third scenario. Eric is 15 years old, and he's excited to go out with his friends on Saturday. So he asks dad if he can do that. But dad says, no, actually, Eric, I need you at home. I'm going to be working around the house, and I want your help. 
Eric says, can't we do that on Monday or Sunday? Dad says, no, I would like you to help on Saturday. And Eric says, Dad, I help all the time. Can you just give me a break? Let me go play with my friends. I need to go out with them, right? And if you don't let me, by the way, I'm almost an adult, and I may just leave if you don't let me go because I'm going to go anyway. What is Eric doing? He's challenging his dad. He is showing his disobedience. So obedience occurs when a child listens without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. But let's go on to the main text of Ephesians 6, verse 2. Ephesians 6, verse 2. And we're going to jump onto the uh, first part of that verse. And it says this. Paul talking to children, he says, honor your father and your mother. And we've discussed obedience, but here Paul says, for the children to honor their parents from the heart. Children are to obey from the inside. Paul does not want right actions, but with the wrong heart motives. But what does it really mean for children to truly honor their father and their mother? It's not enough for the child to obey But honor shows inward transformation, inward obedience. The word honor means to place value on, hold in high esteem, or have a high regard for, or to respect. So point number two says this. Children are to obey parents from the inside out. Children are to obey parents from the inside out. We sing a little song my wife put a melody to, which involves the words, waiting with a happy heart, that's patience. Or obeying with a happy heart, that's called obedience. It reminds the children to really be patient or obedient and not only do it with outward actions, but it has to have a happy heart inwardly as they are obeying. We are wanting, we are wanting outward and inward obedience. We're wanting our children to obey with the heart. It's not appropriate for children or teens to give attitude to their parents. A few examples include a teen saying, fine, and then they listen. Or a child saying, whatever, and then they comply to the command. Or the child sighing, and then going on and being obedient. That is not obedience. That is rebellion. Nor is it okay for children or teens to have body language that reveals that they are being rebellious by rolling their eyes, right? Rolling their eyes or a teen shaking their head out of frustration and anger at their parents. That's not obedience. What the child says, how they say it, and their body language often reveals their heart. We saw this in our oldest, Luke. He was close to one. And he was just beginning to speak when we told him no, no for something. He would listen to the command, but then as if talking back with us without a happy heart, he would be like, hmm, hmm. He would sort of grunt at us. He would grunt at us. I'm like, what is he doing? What is he? Is he watching Animal Planet or something? But soon after, he learned after 
much discipline that grunting is not appropriate for a child to be doing. It was not obeying us as the parents with a happy heart. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, honor your father and mother. And this honoring is not like the general honoring of all men. As children are under the authority of their parents, God's word is saying, obey and honor your parents like you obey and honor Christ. John Calvin says this, when our Lord commands us to honor parents, under this, he, the Lord, intends that the child be reverent, and more, moreover, a performance of all duty. That is to say that the children are bound to serve their fathers and their mothers and to subject them in all things to the utmost of their power. And what, we're, what, what it's being said in this old English is John Kelvin is saying that a child honors and is reverent towards his or her parents. Reverence means an awe, a fear, a high respect for. That is what children should have towards their parents. How are we doing with that? So how do we begin to teach our children to honor us as parents? Because we know this is hard. This is an easy stuff, right? Well, we could start with the question of how well do we as parents honor others? How do we as parents honor others? Paul talking to the Jews in Romans 2 says this. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Paul's point here is, in essence, are we practicing what we preach? Or are we hypocrites? Are we being hypocritical? Saying one thing and doing another. For example, let's say you have a dad who does drugs daily. And he does them in front of the children. But he says this to them in threatening tones. You better never do drugs when you get older. They're so bad for you. How serious will the children take dad's empty threats? They will look at him and say, my dad's a hypocrite. Some children will will rebel just because of the hypocrisy. Other children will be confused while other children will begin to build resentment and frustration towards their father, the person they're supposed to honor and respect. Point number three. Parents are examples the children will follow. Parents are examples the children will follow. Often it is us, the parents, who need to change. Are we being dishonoring to one another? Are we being a bad influence in our children's lives by speaking and acting, dishonoring, disrespectful to others? Let me get closer to home. How do we honor our spouse? Because often it is right in the home where children watch disrespect and dishonor take place on a daily basis as they speak harshly to one another, as they yell at one another, as they just totally degrade one another. And the children just watch. 
They just watch as they see mommy and daddy arguing and fighting, not understanding what is going on. They see the way mommy and daddy treat one another. They watch as dad ignores mom because he's too busy watching the TV or looking at the internet. Or the children watch as mom gives all her attention to them and acts like dad is a third wheel. They watch this stuff. The children see all of this and they learn from us as parents how to treat others. It becomes normal commonplace to dishonor and disrespect others. And they know nothing else but that because that's what they were trained in. Many of us who are parents need to confess and repent to the Lord for our lack of love and honor that we've shown to our spouse. That's, that means like now, today. And we need to go to our spouse after we repent to the Lord, go to our spouse and confess our sinfulness and ask them for forgiveness as well for the many times of dishonoring that has been going on behind closed doors in our homes. And then we need to go to our children and confess our sinfulness and ask for their forgiveness for all the times we've dishonored our spouse in front of them. Paul said to the church at Philippi to follow his example as he followed Christ. What a beautiful thing it is when parents live out Christ to their children. Will we do it perfectly? No. We'll have to confess and ask for forgiveness in our homes even if we're doing it well, right? We struggle with sin as people. But it is a great thing when our children grow up and have a crystal clear perspective of what it means to be a father, what it means to be a mother, and how to actually honor people in general. What it means to be a Christian, a true follower of Christ. How they they learn to then practically walk the word of God out in their life, exemplify what it means to honor others. But let me stop here for a second and take a short detour around the block. Some of you may be wondering how a sermon on parenting is beneficial for you, right? Especially those of us who are retired and have children that are possibly grown up or single without children. Well, I think we could all start here. We all can agree that we are in a dismal place with parenting and child training. Parents need all the help they can get. Amen? That means grandparents, relatives, friends, family should be giving input, speaking truth into the parents' lives from a biblical perspective. And if you're a member of a church, it's not only should you help, but it is your responsibility before God to help out parents who are struggling with their kids or to encourage kids or getting involved in other families' lives. Church members, we are a family. We're called to reach out and love one another, put each other above ourselves. But also God's word is alive and active, as Hebrews tells us. That means any topic will be helpful for us. For example, this morning we're talking about children honoring their parents, right? Can we as adults learn to grow in honoring others as well, even if we don't have children? 
Of course, right? We can learn to honor one another more. We can, we can recognize that if I'm gossiping, gossiping about people, that's dishonoring them, right? We can learn from messages that aren't specifically focused in on us. We should be able to allow the Holy Spirit to change us and still be convicted where we need to change. And if we're older, we still need to work on honoring and submitting to the Lord. But let's go back to our main text, and we're in Ephesians 6, verses 2 and 3. Ephesians 6, verses 2 and 3. It says this, God's holy, inerrant, infallible word says this, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So verse 3 says that there are blessings involved when you have a child who obeys and honors his or her parents. This verse reveals that honoring an honoring child will have a long life, But not just a long life, but a life that goes well for them. That makes all the difference, right? Which leads to point number four. It says a child who dishonors his or her parents lives, or a a child who honors his or her parents lives in safety. Let me read that again. Point number four, a child who honors his or her parents lives in safety. Safety. We get a picture of someone carrying an umbrella, right? And it is pouring rain, but the umbrella protects the person from getting wet. And God says here that he will protect the child who obeys his or her parents. It places a child under the protection, the authority of the parents. So they are protected. Satan can't go right and start attacking the child. It has to go through the parents, But similarly, a child who is dishonoring has a life filled with hardship and difficulty. This leads to point number five. A child who dishonors his or her parents lives in danger. A child who dishonors his or her parents lives in danger. Going back to our umbrella analogy, this person has the umbrella, but instead of standing under it, he continues to put it down. And of course, when he puts the umbrella down, what happens? He gets rained on. He gets soaked. He gets drenched, right? He's not under the protection of the umbrella any longer. And the same thing, rebellious children are not under their parents' protection, but stand open for Satan's attacks. That's a scary thing. I mean, think about it. Those of us who have lived somewhat of a wild past, think about how it has affected and carried along all the way to where we're at now, the tough decisions, who we possibly married, what things we decide to get into, the habits we started— when we were rebelling against God and our parents. It's a tough thing. It is like the proverb says that the way of a transgressor is hard. Living in rebellion against God leads to all sorts of problems. So we want to help our children listen and obey, not for our sake because we want peace in the home or we want instant obedience because we're not wanting to deal with their problems, even though that's often what we're doing. But that shouldn't be why. It should be for their benefit because we don't want them to go through hell to get to heaven. 
We don't want them to have to go through all that. But let's go back to our main text and continue our study, which the next verse is Ephesians 6, verse 4. Ephesians 6, verse 4. And it says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What a beautiful verse. Last Wednesday, we discussed this very topic on fathers in our parenting class. And by the way, if you weren't able to make it, you can come this week at 6.30. I think we have six more sessions on parenting. It's important for us to, to come together for fellowship and learn from God's word how we need to be better parents, God-honoring parents. But one of the things we discussed was that most men think their role is to provide, protect, and show up at important events. And that's about it. But God has so much more than the typical ideal for men when it comes to the family. God expects fathers to play an active role in the parenting process, that he is involved, that he is connected, that he is guiding the home. The father is the authority of his family. He must oversee what is going on in his home. It would be similar to someone who is the president of a company or CEO of the company. At the end of the day, whatever happens in that company falls on his shoulders. It's his responsibility. But we also see this even in the church when we look at elders and pastors who oversee a church in their role. Why don't we turn to Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So we see servant leaders of the church, the elders, the pastors, other, other versions would call them shepherds, bishops. I think the King James or New King James calls them. But it's the same office, the same position, the same role is talking about the same leaders. And scripture says that they keep watch over your soul. And not only that, but you know part of the reason why they're keeping watch over your soul if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing? Because at the end of the day, myself being a pastor, I'm going to answer for how well I led the church, how well I was working with the people in the church. I'm going to answer for those people. I'm going to have to give an accounting to God on that one day. That's a scary thing. The husband father oversees his family the same way elders oversee a church. So fathers, you're answering for your family. I'm answering for my family. How well, how much love is going on in the house? How, how good, how well things are going with training them in the word of God? God's not coming to my wife. He's coming to us as the men. Which leads to point number six. The father is responsible for his family. 
The father is responsible for his family. I know I've said this twice already in other sermons, but again, when Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't go to Eve when she's the one who ate the apple. God went to Adam and said, what's, what's going on? That's, what, that's, that's the authority structure that we see in Scripture. So Paul reminds the father that it is his job to make sure that he is raising and guiding his children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The father, like the pastor elders, will be accountable for his family before God. Although, though, I don't want to diminish the wife's role, although the father is responsible for the family, this does not diminish the role of the mother to train and discipline her children, as we see in Proverbs 31, right? That says, her children rise and call her blessed. And also, there are some who are single parents out here, raising their children without a father for whatever circumstances. Well, don't hear this and lose hope either because first and foremost, Christ is the husband, the father of all of us, right? So none of us are without leadership in our homes, without guidance and protection. He is the husband for the husbandless. But secondly, for the single parents, this is your church family. You need to be plugged into the lives of fellow believers and make sure your children are building godly relationship with families that you want to exemplify in your own home. But we all should be doing that. And we need to be more, I would say we need to also be more mindful to single parents as well in their situation if we function as the church body should. Then... You as single parents shouldn't be in a position of losing hope either. Well, in conclusion, the subject on parenting is so important. And the advice we hear from the culture and most pulpits are disastrous and terrible. They're not biblical. They're more psychological than biblical. The churches are dying because family units are in shambles. And it seems it's only getting worse. God calls us Christians to pass on a godly heritage to our, to our children, to teach them and train them in God's word. If you, if I, could diagnose our families, would we say that we are teaching our children to submit and honor others? Parents, are we honoring one another? Does our children see mom and dad speaking kindly to one another? What about in our actions? Do we esteem each other in front of our children? Mom, are we teaching our children that dad is the authority in the home? That dad is the leader in the home? Dad, are we cherishing and loving and serving mom in front of the children? What about the retired and singles, single parents? Are, are you getting involved by speaking truth, by being an example to the younger generations? It's your responsibility to. You've walked down that road. You've lived it. And now you're called to not only with experience, but walk down that with others in a biblical Sense, as in following the word of God with the experience you have. Church, 
Are we reaching out to those who are without godly fathers in their life? We have much work to do in pleasing the Lord, and it starts in our homes. It has to change from our, in our home life. Next week, we'll discuss what it looks like to raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We'll answer questions like, should we spank our children? And if so, how? What does it look like to train our children in righteousness? That's what we're going to discuss next week. But may we as the family church seek the Lord by his grace and patience as we raise our children according to God's word. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we come to you recognizing we struggle. Some of us are overwhelmed by some of the things that we've talked about. Honoring, respect, obedience. Some of us are very unfamiliar to those things and then trying to then train our children with those seem almost impossible. But Father, we recognize with your spirit who lives inside of us, you give us the ability to do things that we never thought possible to do. Help us to depend on you, to fall on our knees, recognizing that we are hopeless, that we are struggling if we're not doing it in your strength. If we're working in our strength, you will let us fall on our face. But help us, Father, to be people who are spirit-filled, who are controlled by your spirit for your glory. And I ask that you help us as people to be dedicated to knowing the word of God and loving it because we love you so much. Help us not to follow what American Christianity is doing and be serious about walking with Christ. Father, we thank you for your grace, your patience with us. And in your name we pray, amen.